Aloha, everyone, and welcome to Just a Physician, the podcast where we explore mental health, vulnerability, and personal life journeys with people you know and love. So make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already, and listen to new episodes that are out every single Thursday. I, oh my gosh, you guys, I'm so excited for today's guest because this is truly a world changer, someone who is making shit happen, just incredibly impactful, helping protect the world. I was able to meet her when I was at Web Summit, which if you guys watched the previous podcast episode, you will have seen the crazy stories from Web Summit. But with no further introduction, everyone say hello to Sophia. Thank you so much for coming on. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. And oh my God, I can't believe the last time we saw each other was at Web Summit. I know, right? It feels like forever ago. I mean, so much has happened in your life since then. It's been so cool to just like follow on Instagram. Basically, like the way that we first connected, it was on the bus, right? To like the dinner, right? <laughs> yeah, I was walking by and I saw you and I was like, wait, I think that we follow each other on Instagram because yes. we had worked together uh, previously because uh, you guys were supporting like nonprofits and yeah. climate orgs, which was amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, super cool to be able to like connect in person with you first because it was just like a random shuttle ride to like this dinner that we were both mutually invited to and it was like oh my gosh wait you're here it was it was amazing and um for anyone who might not know who you are the work you do I would love for you to just uh introduce yourself yeah of course hi I'm Sophia I am a junior at Stanford studying science technology and society I'm the founder of Climate Cardinals, which is a youth-led nonprofit with 9,000 student volunteers across 41 countries. And our goal is to translate climate resources into over 100 languages. And I also represent the U.S. as the youngest person on the U.N.'s Youth Advisory Group on Climate Change. Wow. Incredible, you guys. Like, I, it's seriously, like, so cool just to be able to, like, chat with you on here. And, like, thank you again for coming on uh, because I know you're crazy busy. Literally right before this, uh, you were talking about how you're swamped in uh, studies, you know, going to classes <laughs> while managing everything else that you do, which is, like, absolutely insane. Um, so thank you again for coming on. I'm really excited to kind of jump into this conversation because I feel like you have such insightful views and um, perspectives on not only like the global climate crisis, but just the way that the world is kind of handling it. And, uh, you know, it's amazing to be able to kind of like speak to the source when it comes to people who are actually on the ground and especially like someone so young because you're 21, right? Yeah, 20? I just turned 21. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, <clears throat> happy belated. <laughs> no, seriously, it's so cool to like be able to talk to someone who is young and actually like, like I said, making shit happen. So I, before we get into like the juicy questions, I want to just like ask you a few rapid fire questions as we do with all of our guests. First, I need to know, what is your go-to coffee order? Because I know that you definitely have to drink coffee too. <laughs> I like life. black coffee. Yes. Just plain black coffee. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. Same here. Um, I fully support. Okay, great. Next, what is your newest hobby? Like the thing that you've just picked up recently that you're like, oh my God, I really enjoy this. I want to keep doing it. Um, do people still have hobbies? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I've actually been um, painting a lot. Wait, let me see if I have. I, really? I On one of my travels, like I got these little boxes. Oh my God, that's so They're, cute. Yeah. So every time I like go places, I bring one of these mini paint sets and I will like absentmindedly paint. 
here's like one that I did. That is They're so actually cute. super fun. Wait, that was such a good question. I this is my new <laughs> hobby is painting these little things. <laughs> I love it. Those are so freaking cute. And like I can vouch for like painting is such like a fun little hobby. I mean, I don't have the the artistic level that you do to paint freehand. I just do the little like paint by number things that you can like order online. Oh, I online. love those, yeah. Yeah, and then when you finish it, it looks like you're some masterful artist when, you know, it's really, you're not. <laughs> but like, I love the little <laughs> mini sets that you have. That's so cute. Okay, painting we support. Um, I also want to ask what, and this is a difficult one, so it's okay if, if it's hard to sum this up, but what are three words you would use to describe the current climate crisis i would say um existential mm. hope um and progress mm, i love that i love that especially because i think and i'll i want to get into this later um sometimes it's more associated with more negative words rather than like positive words so i love like hope and progress i think that's that's super cool and similarly what are three words you would use to describe the Dalai Lama? Because you got to <laughs> speak to the Dalai Lama, which when I saw that on Instagram, I was like, oh my God, you just officially became the coolest person in the world. <laughs> How would you describe them? Um, inspiring, profound, and funny. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's so cool. Like, seriously, what a surreal moment. I can, like, only imagine how freaking cool that was. Like, oh, my God. No, I know. I was like, this is one of those things I'm going to be telling my kids about. And, I mean, we can go more into it later about how that came about and what happened. But it was so, so crazy. I could, I could barely compose myself. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And the way, like, you asked the question so confidently, too. And I'm like, I would be, like, shaking in my boots I would be freaking out, like, but you so, like... Oh, my God, and I was, like, the last person to go, and so I, like, in my head, I was, like, not listening to anything happening beforehand. (laughs) I completely blanked out, and then I kept rehearsing in my head when it was my time. I was like, okay, I better not stutter, mess this up or anything. (laughs) No, you did great. And, guys, make sure you go follow um, her Instagram, uh, because you can see the video there where she um, was able to talk to the Dalai Lama. Uh, What is your Instagram, by the way, for, for the world to know? You're so sweet. Um, it's at Sophia Kiani. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Go check out the video there. It's great. Um, okay. So I want to like jump um, into these questions. You were able to like tell us a little bit about what you do for work. Um, you know, all the work that you do specifically for, you know, um, whether it's the United Nations, you know, climate crisis. Um, but there's like so much even beyond like climate cardinals and um, that you're involved in. Uh, but I'm kind of interested to know like what first drove you to be really passionate about um all of the work that you do and especially from such a young age like what was really like the first thing that kind of inspired you to be motivated to want to make a difference in the world yeah totally so my story really stems from my iranian american heritage both of my parents grew up in iran and they came to uh, the united states to pursue education. Um, And so growing up, I would visit Iran in the summers and I was struck by how awful the air pollution was there. Mm -hmm. Thousands of people are hospitalized every single day because of the air pollution. And I also Mm -hmm. learned that temperatures in the Middle East were rising more than twice the global average. So my relatives were really on the front lines of the climate crisis. But when I approached them about the issue, I realized they had never heard about terms like climate change or global warming. Mm. They didn't really know anything. Mm. And I did more research. I found that only 2% of Iranian uh, students could 
properly explain the greenhouse gas effect, uh, mm. some very, very low number, like two or five percent. And so I worked with my mom to translate climate resources into Farsi so that I could teach my relatives about climate change, which is how I came up with the idea for climate cardinals, because I realized there was really a lack of climate resources available in languages outside of English. Mm-hmm. Which is so cool. And like, yeah, describe uh, what climate cardinals does as well, because it's literally like exactly what you were able to do individually, like on a massive scale, right? Yeah, which is what I think is so amazing. What really started out as me and my mom doing these translations <laughs> grew to me and a couple of my friends. And then it continued to expand to now we have over 9,000 student volunteers who do translations for us in exchange for community service hours. And we've been able to translate over 750,000 words of resources into over 100 languages um, over the past few years. And we've partnered with amazing organizations and institutions like we've done translations for UNICEF and the mm-hmm. UN Environmental Program. So it's been a really incredible and fulfilling experience to, to watch what was really just like a childhood project grow mm-hmm. into a full-fledged organization with all these incredible young people. And we're actually now expanding and growing our executive team for the first time in like three years and <sighs> onboarding new directors, which is super exciting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's so important because it really highlights that when you see injustices happening in your community, that really is the best way to tackle an issue where mm-hmm. it all came about so organically. And now I've been able to spend the past few years really upscaling a solution that I developed and engaging thousands of young people in the same work. Yeah. Taking what you learn from your you know, individual community and really expanding it to the global community, I think is so cool. And obviously like any, any work that you know, changes the world for the better is obviously good. But when you, like you said, are able to upscale that into so many more, like a hundred country, a hundred, was it a hundred countries or a hundred languages? So a hundred languages in 40 countries. That's what it was. A hundred, yeah. Languages, 40 countries. Like that is so incredible. That's something that you individually were so passionate about from a young age is able to expand to just that scale. It's, it's amazing. And especially like, you know, uh, even with you, not only because for United Nations, you're representing not only Iran, but also United States. Was there three countries that you're um, technically representing? Yeah, so I technically represent the North American region, so like Mm -hmm. the U.S., Canada, but then I also am like the only member representing like the Middle East, specifically Mm -hmm. through Iran, and I'm the youngest person, so they really had a great time (laughs) (laughs) for the um, advisory panel. That's so freaking cool. And what a like a surreal moment for you. Was it something that you were like expecting or were kind of like working hard to get to or did it come like completely as a surprise? Oh my God, it was such a surprise. So what happened was it was like six months after I started Climate Cardinals, mm-hmm. we had like gone viral on TikTok, which I think mm-hmm. is how you found us yeah. this viral recruitment video we made. And um, so things were really snowballing. It was so exciting. And then I got this super random email where uh, this person was like, hey, I'm recruiting for the UN Youth Advisory Group on Climate Change. I think that you could be a good fit. Um, like you've been nominated by one of our partners, would you be interested? And I obviously was like, oh my God, yes, of course. (laughs) Um, And then when I was ultimately selected, it was just absolutely insane. Yeah. 
Oh, that's so cool. Congratulations again. Like that's, that's amazing. And I think representing in such a positive way, like the power of youth activism, you know, and how, cause I really am just like Gen Z is already changing the world, but it's going to make such a huge difference. Like when a lot of Gen Z like become of age and start getting into political positions and offices and you're representing that. And I think that's incredible. Um, I'm also like interested because within the climate crisis conversation, there are so many different voices. There's so many different things being spread. There's so many counter arguments and controversy and all this kind of stuff. Um, and it can make it a little bit overwhelming and I think disorienting for people, individual people to know how they can make a difference and what they can do. So I, I'm curious to know, like, what do you think is the most harmful piece of misinformation that you think is impacting the climate crisis right now? I would say that I think a lot of the conversations that are framed around the climate crisis can be pretty alienating and unproductive. Mm -hmm. So I've heard it range from you can't do anything about climate change, your action is completely meaningless, all the way to you have to be vegan, you have to stop Mm -hmm. flying, like you have to be like a perfect person. Mm -hmm. And I really am an advocate for progress over perfection, but also Mm -hmm. educating people on the fact that the notion of the personal carbon footprint was like really something created and popularized by the oil and gas industry Mm -hmm. to displace blame from their own industry. And so I think it's very harmful to attack people and to tell them that they're the source of the climate crisis when it really isn't the case. But Mm -hmm. I think that education is really important in the sense that we can make people aware that the biggest impact that they can have is through getting engaged in political processes. So whenever people ask me, what can I do? I always say, go vote. Because Mm -hmm. the people who you are voting into office are the ones who ultimately have the most amount of power over passing progressive climate legislation that will actually allocate funding um, and capacity and resources towards making these proposals that scientists say we're in desperate need of a reality. And so avoiding telling people there's nothing you can do, but also avoiding telling them that uh, you have to do all these things and be a perfect person in order to make an impact, like really meeting people where they're at and being honest in the sense that like there are certain things you can do and they are very impactful, but it really centers around this idea of systemic change. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. And I love that you <clears throat> specifically focused on voting because it, I, it's oh, so frustrating sometimes to see like how convoluted the conversation can come when it when it's relating to like individual action and what difference people can make. Because I think a lot of times uh, people tend to focus on the wrong things. Um, in my personal opinion, like uh, so much, you know, like conversation around like, using plastic straws versus, you know, reusable straws and like, (laughs) which, you know, isn't, you know, of course that's a productive thing to be talking about, but when so much of the attention is focused on the wrong elements of actual individual, you know, action as compared to what you were saying, voting, like bringing people into office that have actually prioritized helping, you know, change the climate crisis, helping make the world into a better place for, um, for people, you know, uh, for animals, you know, for nature, everything like that. I think that is so much more impactful and more productive of a conversation to be having. So I love that you touched on that because I think it is kind of overlooked. And I also love that you were saying that the corporate agenda tends mm-hmm. to focus on the wrong elements that makes people feel more isolated or 
makes people shoulder the responsibility of the climate crisis, which is ridiculous. Sometimes when I see these conversations happening of like everyone kind of pointing to the wrong solutions for the climate crisis, I wonder like, is this like from the top down thing? Because it feels yeah. very icky, like this is being motivated mm -hmm. by a greedy corporate agenda rather than an actual productive conversation. Do you think that's true in a lot of the cases when it comes to what's being talked about for how we can make a difference for the climate crisis? Yeah, because it's really sad. Even at um, the COP27, like the mm -hmm. UN has an annual climate change conference. Last year, there were hundreds of lobbyists from the oil and gas industry at the biggest and most important climate conference in the mm -hmm. world, which I thought was insane. Mm -hmm. And it's even like when you're liaising with these people, you see all these opportunities where these lobbyists are really trying to get people to use their social media platforms to promote their agendas. And there's so much greenwashing that's happening mm -hmm. and so much narrative around trying to make consumers really think that they're the problem when really the industry is just trying to displace blame. Even there are statistics that say like 100 companies are responsible for 71% mm -hmm. of the world's industrial emissions. Clearly, if you have this concentrated group of entities that are disproportionately responsible for so much of the planetary destruction, if if we were able to mobilize everyone to direct our outrage and anger at that group of people, things would start happening. Mm -hmm. And that's why there's such a concentrated effort to keep us fragmented, to keep the the focus on different um, arenas instead of really getting people to commit to one agenda, which is like phase out fossil fuels mm -hmm. or something like that. That's really productive and putting in energy into, you know, we should be uh, investing in renewable energy. We mm -hmm. should be investing in upskilling workers so that they're prepared to take on green jobs. These are the agendas that I think are really important and productive to focus on rather than getting caught up in, in the weeds of things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's so well put. And I think that's really insightful, specifically when it comes to the greenwashing conversation, because I know so many people on social media are aware like of what greenwashing is. Um, but I think the most harmful and destructive aspect of greenwashing is, like you were saying, representatives from these corporate companies kind of appealing to public expectations of like involvement, whether it be going to COP or whether mm -hmm. it be, you know, um, making statements about environmental responsibility rather than actually implementing change. And I would even say that like, while, you know, outrage and public conversation is absolutely necessary in making a difference, I think for a lot of these like oil companies and just companies who are really destroying the earth, uh, they don't really care. <laughs> it's like they don't care about like public outcry or opinion. The change that needs to happen needs to come from uh, you know, legislation. Regulation. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. Like political leaders who actually care about making <clears throat> a change when it comes to the climate problem and not just doing it to pacify the public. I don't know if you agree. I completely agree with you. Even when we look at the holdup of key pieces of climate legislation, like the Inflation Reduction Act mm -hmm. um, through the Senate and Congress, it really was only happening because of like one or two members of Congress, like mm. one or two people had the ability to block extremely important legislation. And then finally, like we were able to get the Inflation Reduction Act passed. Mm -hmm. But there have been so many instances where there's this slight hiccup or something isn't able to get through. And it's just because of one or two people. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about that, if we're able to flip those districts, if we're able to flip other districts, so we do have a majority of people 
who are in office, who are committed to passing progressive and meaningful climate legislation, then we will be in a position where we are able to make meaningful change happen. And focusing our energy and attention on something like that that has the potential to make such a huge difference is so much more productive in my mind than these other side conversations that we often get uh, caught up in that really involve shaming specific yes. individuals when shaming specific individuals as opposed to shaming an entire industry or an, mm-hmm. or an entire corporation that is so much worse disproportionately i think that using our energy on something like that is much more productive and also i think that just focusing on solutions oriented conversation mm-hmm. as well Like, even if you do think that an individual is not operating in the most climate conscious or sustainable manner, instead of telling them they're a terrible person, Mm -hmm. pointing them towards resources or letting them know ways that they could be uh, more climate conscious, that is so much more productive than flat out just um, trying to make someone like feel bad and then they're going to be combative comes down to the same logic with climate deniers. People always mm-hmm. ask me, like, what do you do when people just straight up don't believe in climate change? And often my response is, those are some people I really don't engage with. If somebody mm-hmm. is so caught up in their ways that they will refuse to believe the science and will not listen to me, will not will belittle me, it's not a productive use of my time and energy to focus on those conversations. I'd rather talk to people who are apathetic about the climate crisis mm-hmm. and who are really looking for resources to make a difference. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I love the solution oriented focus. I think that's so important because I mean, I could talk forever about moral superiority when it comes to like (laughs) specifically the online space, but especially in relation to, you know, the climate crisis and, and conversations that are happening there. But I think, yeah, being solution oriented, uh, combating misinformation with productive information about how you can be better, how we can be better when it comes to these issues I completely agree. And that's something I actually wanted to ask about as well, because I think I've seen a lot of conversation online around how negative attention towards the climate crisis is counterproductive to making lasting change towards protecting the earth. Um, And I'm personally someone who always believes in positive reinforcement as opposed to negative reinforcement Mm -hmm. when it comes to well, really just anyone as individuals, let alone social issues. But as someone who is in the space, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Like, um, and specifically because you said the words like hope and progress, you know, there's so much of the doomsday negative reinforcement approach mm-hmm. uh, that people use to push people into action. Um, but do you think positive reinforcement is better? I think a mix is very important. Um, Christina Figueres, she was like one of the key architects of the um, UN uh, Paris Climate Agreement. She's Mm -hmm. like one of my heroes in the climate movement. She has a podcast that I was on recently and it's called Outrage and Optimism. And that Mm. to me, actually, like as I'm thinking about like if there was two words I would use, outrage and optimism, I think are perfect. Yes. Because that you have to be able to convey to people, listen, like we need to get shit done. Mm -hmm. That's the reality. And things are not getting done. There is very little progress in a lot of arenas. People are dragging their feet and you should, you should be outraged, especially as young people, we should be outraged because this is our future that's at stake. Already Mm -hmm. young people are experiencing rates of the climate crisis at a rate three times higher than our grandparents. And so this is a crisis that is urgent and we need to convey that sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. But we also need to realize that 
instilling this sense of fear in people can be paralyzing and only focusing on how things are going wrong is also a very untrue narrative because there are people um, like myself who spend every single day working on climate solutions and are working every single day to make the public aware to come up with actionable steps that people can take. And so there should also be a sense of optimism in the sense that there are scientists, there are policymakers, there are students who every single day are actively engaged on this issue. And so trying to balance those two emotions will leave us, in my opinion, in a good spot to compel people to take action, but also make them aware that we are working towards a solution. Not all hope is lost. Mm -hmm. Outrage and optimism. That's such a good Mm -hmm. way of putting it. I think, yeah, I completely agree with everything you said because it's sad watching a lot of like young people kind of succumb to the paralyzing nature of the negativity around the climate crisis. Like I see this on TikTok a lot where like in comment sections or videos where people are like, oh, world's going to die in like 20 years anyway. (laughs) Like, you know, screw it. Which is like really sad because there's so much positive work and positive change that is being made and it's showing up. But I think on the flip side of that as well, um, I think only focusing on like the positivity um, can yes. lead to just like inaction because and mm-hmm. I have personally haven't been to COP, you know, the the climate summit, but uh, some of the criticisms of criticisms I've heard of it is that it's a lot of self-congratulatory behavior and kind of empty mm-hmm. promises all focused around like this positive movement towards making an impact with the climate, yet there's not enough outrage to actually push mm-hmm. people to to act, you know, and actually make critical changes. So that balance, I think, I think is is really cool. And you're someone who has been to, to COP before and um, along with other youth activists who have, you know, talked about their experience. Like what, what has your experience been? Yeah, um, very much a, a sense of outrage and optimism, I would say. <laughs> um, it, it was very interesting. Um, I was very lucky to be given this role at the last COP to be mm-hmm. um, a keynote speaker at the high-level plenary. So I got to so cool. address all of these world leaders and to to speak directly to them. And I, I, given that like I am a UN advisor, I advise uh, Secretary General Antonio Guterres, I quoted him in my speech because he said that quite plainly, many of the leaders today are lying because mm-hmm. they are saying one thing, but doing another when it comes to climate, especially at these climate conferences, they come, they make these commitments, mm-hmm. but then they they fail to deliver on the promise, like the broken promise for climate finance for developing nations. Um, And so I took that opportunity to give a pretty edgy speech. And that is why I think young people are so important to these conversations Mm -hmm. is because, yes, these politicians often get caught in these loops of self-congratulation. And unless you're bringing activists into these folds and having us be pushing them to make progress on the agenda... I don't think that progress is going to be made. And mm-hmm. even when we look at the, the one of the biggest things that happened as a result of the COP that was incredible was for the first time um, in every single COP, we had the first commitment to create this loss and damage fund, which mm-hmm. was basically a commitment to 
give countries funding for the loss and damages that have resulted um, because of the climate crisis, which was incredible and something that climate scientists and policymakers and advocates have wanted for years. And that was the main thing that I focused all of my speeches on. That was the main thing that most of the youth climate activists I worked with really pushed as an agenda point. So it was so phenomenal to see that as an outcome of the COP. And I truly do think it should be celebrated as a success, while also acknowledging that until it's like an empty bucket, but until that bucket has been has been filled, we can't really self-congratulate or celebrate mm-hmm. too early. So I, I, looking at instances like that, where it's like we took a step forward, but we're not going to fully celebrate until we see the end result. Mm-hmm. That that to me is an important conversation to keep narratives like that in, in the fold. And also to recognize that that's the impact that youth climate activists can have. Like we can go, we can push these politicians, we can deliver yeah. these edgy speeches, and then also get the media and the public on our side to continue uh, applying public pressure. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. I mean, that's why I like love you and other youth climate activists, because (laughs) you guys do not give a fuck about what people Mm -hmm. are going to think. And that's exactly (laughs) the type of energy we need, because like, I think, you know, for a lot of people in positions of power, um, you know, the the politics of just exchanges and, and communication, all that has become so muddied with um, apathy. And uh, mm-hmm. I think we need people like you to come in and call call people out, you know, and just be like, you guys aren't doing enough. You need to take action. You need to do more. And that's so cool as well that that was the result of, of COP because I think one of the, I know one of the challenging things I've had when I've tried to stress the importance of the climate crisis because I grew up in an area that was, everyone was climate change deniers and everyone was like super against it. And I, I always believed in it, but I was like, I don't know how to communicate this because, um, you know, there's the approach of like, well, if climate change is happening, it seems fine around me, you know, nothing seems wrong (laughs) and actively denying that it's like, even, you know, say for, you know, people who live in the U S um, we're not aware of the other regions and other countries around the world that Mm -hmm. are, currently right now and for years have been you know the victims of some of the most the earliest onset signs of the climate crisis and we're just actively kind of ignoring them and especially from a corporate standpoint you know we're they're how do you say it we're basically like corporate companies are kind of using other regions and countries around the world as like the worst treatment of whatever you know Mm -hmm. we're currently enjoying in our capitalist state i don't know how to describe it but basically we're kind of fucking up other countries in an effort to make it seem like we're fine on this end so i think that's so cool that that was the result of what happened at cop um and that it was that productive in that way that's that's awesome Yeah, because one of the biggest things that has been a learning for me, honestly, in my foray into the climate movement over the last few years has been just how important it is to look at climate through this justice-oriented lens, Mm -hmm. where I learned that people of color were being disproportionately impacted by the Mm -hmm. climate crisis, marginalized communities, low-income communities, even women. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like 80% of of climate refugees are women. Mm -hmm. And when I was learning these different statistics, it just made me so much more aware of when we're coming up with climate solutions, 
it is so important to put those who are most vulnerable at the heart of what we're doing, to give them the funding and capacity and resources they need, because otherwise that's why for so long the environmental movement was seen as like this white, privileged, uppity Mm -hmm. movement where it was like only the people who could afford to care about this problem Mm -hmm. were the ones talking about it because people had so many immediate concerns and needs. Mm -hmm. But really being able to articulate and tie like, the climate crisis is a human rights crisis. Even when yes. we look at what's happening in my in my parents' home country of Iran, with like the the uprising of these mm-hmm. incredible young women, all of that is exacerbated by climate change. Mm-hmm. Like there are droughts happening in the Middle East right now that are contributing to political instability, and that's obviously a symptom of the climate crisis. So these are all interlinked, and they are impacting those who are most vulnerable. And that's also really important. That's why we need those perspectives to be representative at climate discussions. We can't just have it be a situation where it's white, wealthy, yep. older, privileged people who are monopolizing all these discussions. You need the people from the front lines. You need the young people who are going to be disproportionately impacted because we're able to convey a sense of urgency that these other people are not. Yes. Yep, exactly. That's You literally put into example perfectly what I was failing to say before exactly (laughs) like people who are being most impacted like those are the people we need to give a voice and I think social media has been also like really incredible at doing that at highlighting um the human rights issues that are coming because of climate change all around the world and I know that's specifically what you've utilized um not only you know in championing your own perspective and your own voice, but also for climate cardinals as well. And I'd love if you can like go into a little bit more detail about climate cardinals, because I'd love for everyone who's listening and watching to learn about like how important it is and also what way they can help make an impact as well. Oh my God. Yeah. So climate cardinals is recruiting for our executive team. So if anyone's (laughs) interested, you should definitely apply or shoot us an email if you envision a way of working with us. Uh, But specifically for Climate Cardinals, we have really been different from other organizations and nonprofits in that we do see the value of using social media. I've talked to so many large um, climate organizations and conservation organizations, and when I tell them, like, one of my biggest pieces of advice, if they really want to resonate with the public, is, like, to get on TikTok. They think Mm -hmm. I'm crazy. But then I explained (laughs) to them that Climate Cardinals wouldn't even exist if it were not for this one viral TikTok video, which is the one I'm pretty sure that Mm -hmm. led to us meeting too, um, it wouldn't have existed because this one viral video that reached hundreds of thousands of people ended up compelling thousands of young people to sign up to work with us. And so that changed my life and it changed the life of every single person who currently works for Climate Cardinals. And recognizing that we do live in a new frontier where social impact is completely correlated with social media has been a revolutionary way of, of thinking about if we want to utilize resources effectively we also need to make the public aware of if you're doing amazing things but you're doing it in silence Mm -hmm. then how are we supposed to motivate and inspire and compel people and that's what i've been trying to tell more activists to do is all my friends are doing such incredible work Mm -hmm. but they don't use instagram or tiktok and Mm -hmm. i'm trying to explain to them if you're able to get out there and share the work that you're doing with the world the access that opens up to have partnerships, to get funding for the work that you're doing, to Mm -hmm. reach people, it's phenomenal. And I was that person where I didn't join Instagram until like my senior year of high school. I was so anti-social media, I didn't (laughs) see the point of it. But I think when you're using social media specifically with the goal of creating impact and sharing important messages with the Mm -hmm. world, like what we're doing with this conversation, Mm -hmm. 
I, I think it's super important and it is a new way of, of looking at how can we spread important messages. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I completely agree. I I remember we had like a brief kind of like discussion about this on the the shuttle ride at Web Summit. But um, but yeah, I <laughs> iconic shuttle ride. <laughs> I know, right? Forever cemented in history. <laughs> um, I um I was able to to give a TED talk talking about how um important it is for people to use social media as a way to not only like champion social change, but also kind of like the shift that I think is so important that we need to have when it comes to the way that we even think about social media in the first place. And I think for people like you and activists and people who want to make a positive difference in the world, I think it is difficult with social media because it does seem like it it makes it, I think, a little bit uncomfortable initially for people because it's Mm -hmm. like, well, if you're doing something good and you're wanting to help others, uh, that should come from your true desire and not from Mm -hmm. a desire to like post about it online, which I completely agree. But like you Mm -hmm. were saying, it's like there are so many people doing incredible things in complete silence. And I think you're, you know, missing out on an opportunity to inspire so many other people to do the same and motivate them. I know like seeing your content and seeing other climate activists that I would have never known about before, seeing their work makes me want to make a difference and really pushes me to do that. And I think that's, you know, the power of social media in the first place. And I I wouldn't have even guessed you were on social media, like, and and now you (laughs) are like using it for climate cardinals. Like that's incredible. Yeah, exactly. And I, I do think it's it's because for so long, social media has been framed in a very frivolous context, quite yeah. honestly, I think. Like, I looked at social media and I thought, well, why would I get on Instagram and just, like, share photos of me, like, looking cute at brunch? Like, I didn't really get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, like, now I'm like, okay, actually, I love sharing photos of me looking cute at brunch. Like, I love showing <laughs> what I'm doing with my friends. But I also love being able to actually have a platform so that my message to the world and these important things that I'm learning and saying, they don't just get thrown into a void where nobody Mm -hmm. is able to actually act on it. And so getting on social media was a huge, huge point in my, in my, like, I guess, a journey as an activist Mm -hmm. because it allowed me to reach so many more people. And like the UN found me, I'm pretty sure through that TikTok Mm -hmm. video, like Mm -hmm. a Forbes reporter who ended up writing a piece that also opened up so many doors for like funders and other Mm -hmm. opportunities found me through that TikTok. And so I think thinking about ways that you can utilize social media for impact in these intentional, thoughtful manners can be an extremely Extremely great opportunity to open doors, but I I do say that while while also making sure that it is prefaced with it's important to do the work. Like Mm -hmm. I don't think that it is enough to just like be on social media creating content if you're not creating content about the work you're doing behind the scenes. So Mm -hmm. when I post on social media, I'm doing it through the lens of like oh, I'm an advisor to like the American Lung Association. I attend briefings with them. I go and testify before the EPA. And so I wrote an op-ed for The Hill last week, which was basically like explaining why I thought like um, like the nuances of different regulations like needed to be changed. Mm-hmm. But that was juxtaposed alongside like hours and hours of work mm-hmm. beforehand where I was actually like being an advisor to the EPA. Or if it's like I'm posting a component of a speech that I gave at a conference, it's also juxtaposed alongside like in this time period, Climate Cardinals has like worked with this many people. We've translated mm-hmm. this many words of information. So 
I think that both need to exist at the same time, but mm-hmm. social media content creation can be a great medium to share things that you are actually doing with the world. Yeah. Yeah. You got to walk the walk, you know, can't just post about mm-hmm. it. You got to be actually doing the work and you know, you are a perfect exactly. example of that, like doing the work and kind of like related to that too. I'm really curious because just the amount of things that you're doing on top of being a student and being in one of the most emotionally taxing sectors of like any industry mm-hmm. ever, the climate crisis, you know, and um, try, dealing with all the complexities and just uh, <laughs> frankly disappointments of having to work mm-hmm. in that sector. What are you, like, how is your mental health? What are you doing to protect your own peace in such a chaotic just not only life that you have, but I mean, United Nations, climate crisis, nonprofit, like these are all very emotionally taxing, you know, industries. So what do you really do to like protect your peace and uh, keep going strong? Yeah, I know this is something me and you have talked about on mm-hmm. our iconic, iconic ride. <laughs> um, but me and you are both like workaholics. Like we mm-hmm. love what we do. We put so much time and energy into it, but because of that, it is really, really easy to burn out. And it's so important to set boundaries and also to just be attentive and listen to your own like body, I would say, mm-hmm. in the sense that like, this morning I woke up and I was like, okay, I have a piece set that's due tonight. I'm going to like wake up early and I'm going to do it. And I woke up early and I was like, I feel horrible. <laughs> I'm super oh, no. tired. And I went back to sleep and I was like, that's okay. Like I need mm-hmm. to, I need to take care of myself mm-hmm. and I'm going to do my piece set in the afternoon and evening and it's okay. It's going to get done. But it's like, little things like that like in the past I would have been like I don't care that I feel shitty I'm gonna Mm -hmm. go drink a cup of coffee and I'm gonna rally and I'm gonna get it done but now I'm so much better at like setting boundaries and also being like listen I don't care if my work doesn't get done by 8 p.m I'm going to sleep like I need to sleep I need to rest I need to take care of myself and I also need to hang out with my friends like did I finish like the work I needed to do for climate cardinals no but I'm gonna go to dinner I'm gonna spend time with my friends and then I'm gonna save it for tomorrow and so realizing that We put so much unnecessary pressure on ourselves, Mm -hmm. at least I do for sure. And having that ability now to set boundaries and to realize like taking care of myself and my own happiness is just as important as these other things that I'm doing Mm -hmm. has really been an important like mental mind shift for me. Am I still not really great at it? Yes, but (laughs) I'm getting better and finding ways to, to like carve out things just like for fun just like Mm -hmm. going out with my friends for dinner just being a veg in bed and like binging a netflix show like (laughs) things like that are so so important and Mm -hmm. i think we don't talk about it enough especially as people who love our work and are workaholics because you you really can't be on and like chugging out stuff 24 7 like the mind Mm -hmm. needs time to just be idle and to rest yes Oh my gosh, that makes me so happy to hear because even just in comparison to Web Summit, which was not even that long ago, talking about it together, I remember both of us were just like, oh my God, it's too much. Burnout is happening. This is like intense. <laughs> what know. are we going to do? And so- oh my God, I felt horrible at Web Summit. <laughs> I was so out of it. I literally was dying. <laughs> I remember you were like working, like doing like homework and all kinds of work outside of like the already time that we were spending, you know, like doing the presentations and all that. Like you were in the throes of it. So to see that you've like come this far already is so cool. And I love that you talk about the importance of setting boundaries. Um, I'm reading reading a book right now. It's called uh, Set Boundaries, Find Peace. And a critical part of being able to set boundaries with yourself is 
body awareness and paying attention to the signs mm. that your body is giving you, whether it's setting boundaries with a person and having to identify like, what is my body feeling in response to having to engage with this person or, you know, them not respecting my boundaries, or if it's tiredness, exhaustion, you know, as workaholics, I think there's, I know for me, I don't know about for you, there's an internal sense of self pride that I think can come <laughs> along with being like, I'm working nonstop. I'm going, I'm pushing myself. I'm pulling all night as, you know, go, go, go. The grind never stops. Yeah. That's very toxic. And it's completely ignoring mm -hmm. your body's signals being like, um, you know, you're, you're going to die if you keep up this <laughs> crazy work life and yeah. binging Netflix shows, going out to dinner, like while it seems kind of, you know, uh, not important, like you said, that rest time and that social interaction, that, you know, peacefulness that you need to have mentally is just as important as the work that you are doing. And it'll stay, sustain you, you know, longer. Yeah. And I, I used to think the same thing where I was like, okay, these like frivolous things can just be pushed off. Like I, I read this quote recently that was like, everything you're doing is like, you're, you're sacrificing your life um, for like delayed gratification mm -hmm. that's never going to come, mm -hmm. you know, like the, 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 the things where people say like, just burn the candles. Mm -hmm. And I think about it so often because I had this pair of shoes growing up that I had saved my refereeing money for. It was like this gorgeous pair of like Italian boots. That was $200. That was like my entire refereeing check. I was obsessed with them <laughs> and I, I never wore them because they were so beautiful. I didn't want to ruin them. And mm -hmm. when I finally wanted to wear them, I had outgrown them. And that to me is the perfect reminder of like, I'm only going to be 21 yeah. and in college once in my life. Like I'm going to blink and I'm going to be graduated and I'm going to be an old person. Mm -hmm. um, and so <laughs> I need to enjoy being 21, like having cool friends, like being able to go out and enjoy myself because I'm never going to have this opportunity again. Mm -hmm. And so that to me has been like that, that notion of like rest and enjoying yourself. Like that's just as important as doing work mm -hmm. and you feel inspired and you feel motivated. Like I feel so much happier and better positioned to do work now than I did at Web Summit when I stupidly <laughs> pulled an all nighter, like finishing my midterm paper or something and felt so, so out of it. Like that was a terrible <laughs> decision. I should have just requested an extension. Um, and so I think that we both, I, I am really glad, like, are learning to set boundaries and learning that, like, rest and self-care and enjoying yourself are just as important as these other, like, factors that we use to, like, determine our self-worth. Yeah. Oh, I love that shoot metaphor. Thank you for, for sharing because I think that perfectly describes it. And yes, exactly. I had the same wake-up call where I'm recently was just like, oh, my God, like, I keep pushing myself and this goes for anyone in life with whatever job you're doing with whatever things you're wanting to pursue that you're putting off. I had to, you know, really wake up and just be like, Oh my God, I'm like, like, 25 is gone. I'm never going to be 25 again. I'm only going to yeah. get older. And the older I get, the less things I'm going to be able to do. And the less I'm, you know, being, you know might enjoy the, mm -hmm. my body and, you know, like what I am able to do. And like, I'm only this young for so long. I need to make sure that I'm resting. And I think that goes for everyone, not only in just resting, but also just, you know, like taking time to do things that you love. And I'm so glad that you're doing that because you are in a very chaotic industry and there's so much incredible things happening for you, but it can also be so stressful on the mental health and just on your life. So I'm so happy to hear that you are prioritizing yourself. And I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and talking about all of this. I know that like, you know, you've 
had some of these conversations before, but I think for my audience and I think for people online, we need to have more youth activists um, talking about this in a way that I think it can be not only understood, but applied by normal everyday people like you and me and not just in the spaces that you're making such an incredible difference like the government and amongst world leaders and big companies so I really appreciate you taking this time like thank you so much where can people follow you on social media you're the sweetest Uh, people can find me at Sophia Kiani on pretty much everything Twitter LinkedIn Instagram and similarly I think it's awesome that you have used your platform to to let people like me share my message and that the fact that like even from the inception you were all about climate and all about the environment and sustainability it is such an important issue it's going to be the defining issue of our lifetime Mm -hmm. in my opinion and so the more conversations we can have about it the better while also having conversations about rest and mental health Mm -hmm. that are just as important and like I always say that if you are not taking care of yourself, you can't take care of the planet. And I I think that that is very true in this context. Yep. Thank you. I appreciate the kind words. Like, seriously, you are doing incredible stuff. Everyone, go check out Climate Cardinals as well. Um, You can, I'll put information in the description box if you want to get involved, but definitely go support. And yeah, thank you again, Sophia, for coming on. Uh, Everyone, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the Just Position YouTube channel um, so that you can see the videos there. Leave a comment letting us know what you thought of, you know, this conversation. Like I said before, go follow Sophia. Go follow her on social media. Oh, driven over my words. Um, and this is a presentation of Cadence 13 on Odyssey Studio. New episodes out every Thursday, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye.